Welcome to TechTO Quick Takes. I'm your host, Alex Riley, and here are today's headlines. Another purchase we're certain is a positive one. Did too many companies go public on the TSX during the tech boom? We'll get into that. We take a look at how the Canadian banks rank in the Evident AI Index and a raise that we find particularly interesting that we also want to dive into at the end. So to help me break it down, as usual, Alex Norman joins me. How are you? Great. How are you, Alex? I'm doing great. Uh, quite a variety of things we want to talk about today. And just because there are four important things we want to get to, I say we just get right into it. So um, might have revealed a little bit about what we're going to talk about with this headline, just um, with what I had mentioned. So, you know, a purchase we're certain about and something we want to talk about. So just before we get into this acquisition, if you could just high level share um, what this sure. is about. Uh, Victoria-based Certain announced that it acquired Slovakia-based Slovakia uh, Trustmatic. And so just now that we know kind of what the story is here, um, why did they decide to make this acquisition? Well, you know, in the past, we've always said there's several different fundamental, there's like three or four fundamental reasons you make an acquisition. In this case, it appears to be product slash technology acquisition. Um, mm -hmm. As certain stated that Tersmatic's identity verification technology suite will enhance its offering and better enable to provide fast and easy identification services. In particular, certain said these products will be coveted by its financial service customers. Um, what Tersmatic does, it has a, a, a suite of products that include ident identity document reading and authentication, face liveness detection, and biometrics. Um, and so basically what you have here is you can acquire for distribution, you can acquire for sometimes capital, but this seems to be um, certain side that they would like to add this. It could be, bought, they could build it or they could buy it and they decide to buy the technology and the product. Mm -hmm. And just to go into the buy versus build, which seems, you know, to be the kind of acquisition that we're talking about here, but is there another reason why something like this would benefit certain and, you know, make this purchase uh, also worthwhile for them? So, you know, when you, any startup looks at its product roadmap, there, ha there has to be rational for it. We'll get back to it in a second. Mm -hmm. And then when it looks at how do we build something or how do we get this product, you know, these features or product into our suite of offerings, they can say we can build it in-house, we can hire engineers, we can figure it out, or we can buy it and then integrate it. Um, in this case, they said to buy it. And so why would you want to add these suite of products? Yeah. Um, they're making the investment to either increase their share of wallet with current customers. So they say, hey, we've got like X percent of the potential business we can have with this customer. So we can now, but by adding this product, we can go from X to X plus Y. Or we can improve our conversion of customers in the pipeline. Hey, without this feature set, there's a good chance competitor ABC beats us. And so we don't convert. So you add these features to either capture more money from your customers or get new customers to convert. The quantity of dollars that the, that this uh, produces in revenue um, to be a winner depends on what they paid. So, like, if this adds five million dollars of revenue a year, a ninety percent gross margin, is that is that a great investment? It depends on what the cost acquired is, which wasn't uh, wasn't um, wasn't very clearly identified how much they paid for this. Um, the flip side here, certain seems to be building an acquisition muscle, as this is the fourth acquisition they have done. So it seems like. They're starting to understand how to do acquisitions, how to implement them, and how to value them, and, and basically benefit from them. Right, and and just from what you shared, um, just lastly, it seems that it's a win for certain. But on the flip side, do you also feel that this is, you know, a win and benefiting equally Trustmatic uh, in the same way? 
again, without knowing all the details about the acquisition and how much companies raise, it's hard to tell. But from the outside in, I think it may be. Um, the company was founded in 2020 and seems to only raised 400,000 euros in outside financing. Uh, to see the product more deployed more widely, widely is a, always a great feeling and has and there should be financial upside when all you raise is 400,000. I may be wrong, um, you know, but from the outside, and I imagine there's some type of when it's not a fund maker, um, it's not a get retired acquisition, but it's, I imagine investors and founders and the company did okay. And just last question for you around this. So as we kind of wind down the year, it is still nice to obviously be talking about acquisition news, but is there anything that we should be highlighting maybe as we close out the year related to this news and anything that our community could um, take away or take with them into 2024? So I'm going to make a prediction. You know, this feels like going back to the past a prediction we probably made at the end of 2022 or mid-2022. Mm-hmm. This feels like a preview of what we're going to see in 2024. Okay. It's probably taking us longer to get there, but I think a few leading tech companies that have capital, cachet, and the ability in a stock that's still very valuable um, will acquire technology and customers as companies are funded in early 2020s are forced to sell due to tough fundraising environment. I think lots of companies have postponed their sell or postponed the wind down um, by, you know, cutting employees, um, raising prices of what they sell to their current customers. So they take the SaaS price and double it and extending runway um, with hope that by early 2024 or mid 2024, the funding environment will be better. It is better than it was last year at this time. It's still not yeah. great. So I think we're going to see a lot of companies that get acquired by the winners. I'll have to make a note of this because it might be interesting to revisit this um, maybe in end of Q1 or beginning of Q2 in 2024 and just see maybe how the prediction has panned out. So we're talking about um, did too many tech companies go public on the TSX during the boom? So we know there was a hot period in tech. Um, What is the news, I guess, that we want to start or address first before we get into that? A week ago today, it was announced that Sumero Equity was buying out Q4 for mm-hmm. $257 million. And just what like what does that mean and, um, and specifically so, around Q4? So Q4 was one of the companies that went public in the early 2020s on the TSX. It will now be delisted and privately held. Public shareholders will be bought out and no longer be able to invest directly in Q4. Depending on an investor's entry point, they may present a great or horrible outcome. The acquisition price is a 36% pre- premium to the valuation just before the announcement, but 50% less than the IPO price when the company went public. And I'm always just curious, like why, I guess, would they agree to this kind of deal? Being a public publicly listed company comes with significant overhead, time-wise yeah. and cost-wise, right? So you have to prepare your docs, you have to talk to shareholders, you have, to, you have auditors, makes it difficult to invest for the long run as many shoulders only care about the current and next quarterly results. And it's even tougher for a company under a billion dollar valuation because the best way to have patience from your shareholders is to have institutional shareholders that understand what you're doing. And the number of institutional investors that invest in companies that are worth less than a billion is, is quite small. So here you are putting all this time trying to please the market on a quarterly basis and it, it, it costs you money and time. Uh, going private allows the company uh, to focus on long-term outcomes and hopefully invest in a way that creates a stronger and more valuable company that's possible, that is possible without being public. 
roughly, you, know, you see a bit of the insider investors voting with their actions. 34% of the current Q4 shareholders are rolling over their shares into the private company. This means they will not sell and only benefit when the company goes public again, is purchased, or she's a large dividend. And so just in terms of, like, is this something that could potentially be a trend that we're going to be seeing more of? Because obviously a lot of tech companies did go public on the TSX during the boom, and obviously Q4 is not the only one to delist. So is this a trend or something we'd be seeing more well, of? Well, it's hard, you know, first of all, in TSX, let's look at the TSX. Mm -hmm. During this boom, about 20 companies went, well, 20 companies went public, mm -hmm. tech companies. Um, and what's interesting, Q4 is the sixth one to delist. Prior to Q4, two others were acquired below their IPO price. Two more went private, one above and one below its IPO price. And one voluntarily delisted from TXS because it was meaning, no longer meeting the listing uh, requirements. All these companies faced significant headwinds as tech company valuations have fallen since the boom. Maybe the case that the companies have more support as private companies than public companies. So basically, it looks like if you were a company that went public and benefited from these huge valuation multiples and you didn't grow into them and you, you, you probably have a huge incentive to go private right now. And so I think mm -hmm. we'll see more and more companies go private over the next little while. Yeah. And, and just lastly, I'm sure there's a few things that you'd want to point out here in terms of um, impacts on like our community and our ecosystem. So what is the overall impact in your opinion on our ecosystem? So this is a reminder, like NASDAQ has run up a lot in 2023. Mm -hmm. But the recovery really has been limited to mega cap tech companies. Um, likewise, in the private market, most of the gains have been with a handful of AI companies, including OpenAI, which could be a whole other discussion after this weekend. Um, and as long as the public markets remain cool to tech companies that are in a smaller range and multiple, multiples remain compressed, it will put a chilling effect on late stage rounds of valuations. And as startups uh, need to focus growth and capital efficiency, you know, will need to focus on growth and capital efficiency, it's not clear where valuations are heading okay. despite the enthusiasm for AI and, and, and slowing interest rates hikes. So basically the main takeaway is things are better than last year, but it's still a lot of headwinds in raising um, valuations. Right. You know, I think it's easier now to raise a pre-seed and seed than it was a year ago, but mm -hmm. the, the A rounds and B rounds and C rounds are still very difficult because the public markets have not fully recovered or for um, anything but the big seven. Right. And it's kind of what you mentioned at the end of the first headline, too. It's, it's better than where we were last year at this time, but obviously there, it's, it's still not where we would want to see it. This one was really interesting because I know there's a lot of mixed feelings and conversations around just the Canadian banks in general. So it was interesting to see how they ranked on the Evident AI Index. So before, again, I get you to talk about that. What's the news overall? And just, you know, high level, how did the big Canadian so banks... First of all, it's not news we normally cover, but I thought it was quite mm -hmm. interesting for our ecosystem. Yeah. So this company called Evident AI um, created an index to rank a bunch of Fortune 500 companies, and it does it for every different part of the industry. They just released um, a banking one for global banks, and Canadian banks scored pretty high. Um, RBC was ranked third in the world with strong showings from TD at 11th, BMO at 16th, and Scotiabank at 18th. So you have four of our big five banks were in the top 20 globally for an AI index. And I know you kind of touched on what the evident AI index is, but I guess related to banks, like how are they, how were they assessing them? Like what was, I guess, the importance so, of this? Right from their website, the evident AI index assesses the various approaches businesses are taking towards AI readiness, starting with banks. 
The November 2023 index covers 50 of the largest banks in North America, Europe, and Asia. Each bank is assessed on 100 plus individual indicators drawn from millions of publicly available data points specific to four pillars, talent, innovation, leadership, and transparency. And I mean, just even, I mean, from my perspective, 11th, 16th, and 18th are all seem to be very good rankings and a win overall for Canadian banks. Um, why do you think that they ranked so well? Was well, it adoption of, you know, perhaps AI? Was it um, So if you look at the four categories, you can see the rankings in each one. Sorry mm -hmm. to interrupt. That's um, okay. Across the board, these four banks ranked higher in innovation, which okay. Leo says research, patents, venture, and ecosystem. And transparency, so that's like sharing what they're doing and being clear, mm -hmm. while lagging in talent and leadership. And I know I kind of prefaced this at the beginning when I introed. There's a lot of negative conversation I find around Canadian banks and the banking system in general here. Do you think that this ranking, you know, will I guess like help change the conversation around the banking system? Do you agree with with this? So yes and no. Um, okay. <laughs> like, look, as Canadians, we spend a lot of time complaining about our banking system. Yeah. And there's a lot of people complaining about our overall inability to commercialize the technology we create. Mm -hmm. So it's great to see our financial institutions take advantage of our ecosystem and yep. our AI research leadership to drive change at their institutions. Um, but when you look at what we ranked for, um, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Like innovation, so research and patents, that's good. We're taking, you know, we're, they're actually doing fundamental research. Ventures and ecosystem, kind of surprised there, but that indicates that they, relatively speaking, the other big banks seem to be working with the local ecosystem. And, and so that's, those are all net positives. Yeah. Uh, transparency, you know, I'll, I'll take it. What surprised me, and this is where it gets probably where you get some of the negative from the tech ecosystem, is to mm -hmm. see them lagging in talent and leadership. Like lots of the talent is coming out of our ac academic institutions across Canada, they should have, our banks should have an advantage at grabbing real and great talent. And the fact that they're not leading for financial institutions uh, may indicate that this uh, talent's either staying in academia, deciding to work at startups or being lured to US financial institutions who may pay more. So that's a bit disappointing. And okay. then leadership, well, we'd love to see more leadership. Let's just put it that way. Okay. And just last question before we move on. Um, you mentioned just, it's always good to see them take advantage of the ecosystem, but is there anything else to highlight or um, why this might be important um, it, for us to well, share? If, you know, if they're really working with the local ecosystem and, you know, may present local startups with the ability to work with large fortune 500 companies and provide validation before they go sell abroad. Um, if you're lucky, it may lead to better products and solutions for startups themselves. Um, you know, look, uh, I'm an optimist by nature and I'm hoping that if the banks are investing in AI, we'll see it in better solutions for the Canadians. Nice. And, uh, I know we're kind of zooming through everything a little bit and we've kind of started with some finance news and we're also ending, um, with something similar as well, a little bit of, um, of a sandwich in a sense with this episode. So just one more notable, I guess, or a notable raise that we want to be discussing. This one is notable for a few reasons, but if you can just share what the news is first before we get into that. And this one sort of is countered everything else we've talked about so far. So like, you know, last week. Maybe it was this weekend. Deep Sky announced it raised $57.5 million from Brightspark Ventures, White Cap Venture Partners, Investment Quebec, BDC Capital Normers. So a large round led by lots of Canadian financial uh, VCs and financial, and financial institutions. 
And I was not familiar with Deep Sky at all. Are they a late stage? I guess, where would they fall? Um, no, uh, they are. Deep Sky is a pre-product climate tech set startup. And, okay, so, so then now another question. So given that they are pre-product, how are they able to raise so much is just like yeah, a huge so question mark for me. Mix of several things. Uh, it's co-founded okay. by Fred Lalonde. He's the founder of Hopper, which is a multi-time unicorn. Um, when you make money from investors, they're likely to back you again. Uh, the other, the former VC head at Omer's, Damien Steele, left his position to be the CEO of Deep Sky. So that's a strong endorsement from an investor. They're focused on carbon capture. If it works, it's a massive opportunity and there's strong market tailwinds. Okay. Um, so you got credible founder, credible CEO, massive market. And this needs significant capital to get off the ground. So mm -hmm. it, it, you can't drip half a million, two million. This, this actually requires this amount of capital. So market size, the team, um, and the requirement for capital that all mix together, say, hey, we need like 60 million plus. And they, they raised 17 million earlier in the year too. So you're not talking about 60 plus to just basically be pre, pre to get towards hopefully product. Right. And I know you kind of touched on what they do. Is there any more detail that you can share just to help people maybe understand why just this kind of capital would be needed? Okay. So Deep Sky is capturing carbon from the sky and ocean using reactors developed by other companies. It stores the carbon underground and makes revenue by selling carbon credits on carbon exchanges. Um, each location they build will require five to 600, to 600 million to build. Sorry, 500 to 800 million to build. Okay. Sorry, not used to those big numbers. And no, that's okay. And those, those are big numbers, which I guess my next question then is, you know, 500 to 800 million is a lot of money. So how will they have the capital it needs to build, you know, these locations? Because that's crazy. Alex, I thought you were going to fund it. Um, <laughs> don't you have that money lying around? No, no, unfortunately not. I think so, no? we'd be doing bigger things with the podcast if I did. Yeah. Uh, so the deep sky is hoping to raise funds from government agencies and crown corporations and appears mm -hmm. to be using the funds that it has raised to date to build a small scale demonstration facility to prove that the technology it's using works and show what a full scale location will look like. Okay. So you mentioned like having to prove that the technology yeah. it's using will work and then also what the full scale location will look like. So sounds to me like a few things have to align in order for this to to work so what has to go right in this case for it well, to work? first the way it's going to make revenues is by selling carbon credits um right. so there's a couple things carbon credits are all based on age and they they trade by exchanges mm -hmm. and so the idea with a carbon credit is hey if we're polluting too much we'll get we'll not get penalized if we buy carbon credits from people that don't pollute that much so um, the problem right now is the exchanges have way too much supply, not enough demand. And it's not clear how many different courts or vintages of carbon credits. Will this be going on? Like, will there be new carbon credits every three years? Will the exchanges start making positive? So right now, to make revenue, the carbon credits have to be worth something and tradable. Right. Second thing is the underlying technology is all new. It's all, they, I think they're talking like tens different suppliers. It has to work, and then you have to find a way to scale it up because right now these are all made by hand. Second of all, or third of all, I guess, um, you know, here you've got a company that's using other people's technology to build a business, which is, you know, how lots of businesses are done, but not yep. usually what you see in venture. So you have to, so, but they're, they're betting that economy of scale 
is a huge competitive edge or moat, uh, you know, as a technology, you know, because the technology, the IP is not there. So what they're saying is, hey, hopefully prove this out. We can go raise money faster than everyone else. And then, you know, building these at, you know, building multiple locations, spending $800 million. It's not, it's not easy for people to copy us. So we'll, we'll have a market which we can actually make returns on. So you need two or three things to go really well. Actually, you need all three mm -hmm. things to go well. Otherwise, you're in trouble. Yeah. And obviously a lot of risk in terms of being an investor or in something like this, of course, it's something I think people should have on the radar more and more investments should be made in technology like this, but um, it definitely represents a gap. I think that we're seeing uh, in terms of what's being built and what's being created. Do you have any other final takeaways for well, our community? This is obviously very unique from yeah, what we're so used to talking yeah. about. Uh, look, first of all, this goes to Canada where the markets are, we see the markets aren't being bold or investing in big dollars. Here's a big bet, our big investment. I also think VC, especially in Canada, gets crit criticized for being timid with what invest in, invest in the known. You know, the saying is like, we're expecting flying cars, and all we got was Twitter. Well, here's, <laughs> you know, VCs yeah. investing in something that we they supposedly should. It's capital intensive, but has high yeah. margins if it works. It's unproven technology, but there's a big market to be unlocked. It creates a value for the world and investors of the work. So, hey, this is what supposedly venture capital should be doing. So kudos yeah. to investors and the founders. It shows there's an appetite for capital-intensive startups if there's a massive market, a proven executive team, and regulatory backing because there's definitely regulatory um, yep. tailwinds. Mm -hmm. But again, this is not a playbook I would recommend for most startups in Canada. None of this would be possible if if Fred from Opera was not as successful as he had been, investors are willing to take risk um, when they're playing with house money. You know, hypothetically, he's made lots of money for his investors in Hopper. So this is, yeah. you know, they're taking some of the money and recycling it in him. And trust that Fred will be able to make this all work. And I think, I mean, I think those are also good points to highlight because it is a unique deal in terms of, you know, it is pre-product. There's a lot that has to go right um, for, I guess, all of this to work. Uh but very interesting. I don't really think we've talked, or I don't even know if we've talked at all about something like this this year. I'd have to go back yeah. and look. But um, so just before I let you go, um, we're winding down the year. So our in-person events at TechTO have concluded, but our 2024 calendar is starting to fill up. So a couple of events just to highlight um, before we jump off. So January 15th, we're back at 111 for our first Tech Tio together of the year. And also February 12th, we are back at Rotman. So those events have been really popular. We've had, again, we're starting to announce more of our speakers for, for these. So just keep an eye on the website for more updates. And end of this month, we have an insider event at, at Othership, which will be very cool. So if you don't know what our insiders program is, you can also find out on our website. And check out other ships new location which will be very cool any last highlights from your end before we go look i think there's a couple things going on next few weeks um as we close down for the year mm -hmm. if you're around and you can make them and i think the other sh ship things are gonna be cool unfortunately i'll be in the bay area you guys see mm -hmm. jason which is probably better um <laughs> you know i think the next four weeks are going to be a sprint for most founders, and then they should take time to recharge because I think 2024 it's going to be a year that great things happen, but it's not going to be any easier than this year. So, right, yeah, I, I'm always impressed by you know founders and their teams building stuff. And I, you know, we'll probably have a couple more of these before the year, but just want to remind people hey, we do this because we appreciate the ecosystem. 
We do. And we're very excited to talk about, you know, the challenges and also the wins, of course. Um, that being said, I know we're trying to put together a trends list or hot topics for 2024. So if there's anything um, you as a listener or as just someone who's interested in tech wants to hear us talk about or something you have on your radar, please share with us. Love to hear what you're most interested in learning about or hearing us talk about for 2024. Uh, Alex, uh, thank you again for helping us break everything down. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening. And we will be dropping a new episode of Tactio Quick Takes next week. We're in the business of delivering impossible things. We're in the business of delivering things that nobody's ever seen before. If you build that culture, you'll come up with you know really cool and innovative stuff and you know, literally could be in the next multi-billion dollar idea. So this conversation is largely going to be about scaling yourself and scaling your leadership team. I want to talk about one of the biggest struggles that I think a lot of startups face early on, which is building initial traction.